my dad tells me a lot of stories and one of the earliest stories I would go into his office he worked from home and I'd walk into his office and I'd say dad where do you make the money and he realized that I thought five-year-old me thought he was printing money in his office and because I would look at the printer he said no Max you can't print money that's illegal I have a digital scalable residual business model and so I'd give him a blank stare and he said I put my personal life first and I build the business around my personal life and that's why we can go to Disney World all the time and I thought ah okay so that really became my mantra in my business put your personal life first build a business around that Welcome to the Author's Leverage, the podcast where we explore the journeys that await you beyond your book. I'm your host, Parshel Tashi, and in each episode, we connect with best-selling authors, publishing experts, and industry pros to unveil the pathways that enable you to leverage and amplify your book for extraordinary impact and income. Whether you're a seasoned author or just embarking on your authorpreneur adventure, prepare to be inspired. Today, we're joined by a guest who's going to share some invaluable insights with us. But before I introduce them, I want to invite you to download your copy of our ebook and its companion digital workbook. It's called Five Ways to Get More Bang for Your Book. It's a comprehensive guide to supercharge your author journey, and you can find it below this episode, along with where you can connect with us on social media, subscribe, and rate the podcast. Now, let's dive into today's episode and take a sneak peek into the future of your success as an author. Hey everybody, today we have a special guest who is going to revolutionize the way that you approach your consulting practice. So I want you to get ready to simplify your services and unlock the power of digital, scalable, and residual business models. This is what we're talking about today. And joining me today is Max Trailer, who's an expert in this stuff. He simplifies uh, services for consultants and helps them leverage that for specifically for those who are listening in, authors and experts. Max grew up around entrepreneurship, and he understood the concept of a consultant at an early age. So he's here to share more about this inspiring story and how it has shaped his perspective on thought leadership and expertise. I actually am excited also to dive more into some of the key takeaways from your book, The Consultant's Survival Guide, which actually I would have my physical copy here, but I loaned it to a friend, which is actually the best compliment of a book, right? <laughs> When you say, hey, you got to check this out. And this is exactly what happened. So we're going to talk about that today as well. Uncover some strategies that authors can use to achieve long-term success and more stability financially. So let's talk about how to get free of this time for dollars approach and really prioritize your life. That's what I love about Max. He's an avid golfer and that's what he does. That's his thing. And so let's talk about this. Max, thank you so much for being here and for joining me here to talk today. Super intro. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Like, we're is... going to do all that. I can do those things. I would love yeah, to. We're, we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. <laughs> Let's see what happens. So I'm really, you know, intrigued, of course, in some of the things that I've learned from you thus far. And again, this is something that I know that you've been around for a lot of your life. Tell us a little bit about that story, because I think it's such a great story of how you got introduced into this world and how it shaped your perspective today when it comes to consulting and expertise. My dad tells me a lot of stories about me. And one of the earliest stories, one of the ones he tells the most often, I would go into his office. He worked from home before working from home was cool. This was like the 90s. Okay. And I'd walk into his office and I'd say, Dad, where do you make the money? And he realized that I thought, five-year-old me thought he was printing money in his office. And because I would look at the printer, he'd say, no, Max, you can't, you can't print money. That's illegal. 
I have a digital scalable residual business model. He liked to use big words when I was a kid to confuse me. Mm -hmm. And so I'd give him a blank stare and, and he said, I put my personal life first and I built the business around my personal life. And that's why we can go to Disney World all the time. And I thought, ah, okay. So that really became my mantra in my business mantra, put your personal life first, build a business around that. And one of the differences between myself and my father is my dad didn't believe it could be taught to anybody because none of his, this was the nineties. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought that he was a crazy person for doing his own thing and working from mm -hmm. home. And now I think we're in a, I made the decision I was going to try and teach people that and help them even before the whole COVID thing. But in the last three or four years, I think people have really been forcefully exposed to working from home doing your own thing in a lot of cases. And so it's a lot of fun, but it's also very challenging because typically I'd work with entrepreneurial people doing entrepreneurial things. Now I work with all kinds of people doing entrepreneurial things. Yeah. Uh, some of them aren't cut out for it. And some of them just need to get over some of those psychological hurdles, which I'm sure you experience that are completely new and completely made up in our own heads, which make them the most difficult psychological hurdles. They are, especially the ones that you can't see at all that are blind spots and how you function. Yeah, yeah. But it took um, eight years now of doing my own thing and mm -hmm. incorporating routine and incorporating accountability in, in your own way. Once you figure out your routine, it's the, most it's the most rewarding thing in the world. And I think it boils down to one decision you get to make that no one else gets to make, and that is who you work with. We, we get to decide who we work with. Yeah. And that is cool. That is. And I didn't have that understanding initially. It was like, whoever comes, you got to find a way to make it work and just go with it. But that's not really not the case. It really does matter who you're choosing to work with. But this concept, and I love the fact that your dad gave you these big words. I think words are amazing. You can introduce them to people even younger now, because this is just the, this is the world that we live in. But that concept of digital, scalable, and residual like that I know is really central to your philosophy and like how you teach and help people to achieve that. So how can authors specifically, right? Someone who has a book or maybe they're planning to have a book in the near future, because it's seen as a really strong strategic move, of course, one that I know you recommend, how can they apply that mindset, right? That philosophy to their own consulting practices for long-term success, right? That's usually it's the return on investment or return on effort, if you will, when it comes to this, how can they take that sort of philosophy and apply it in a way that's going to help them achieve that long-term success and some financial stability. A book is a, is a very good example of a digital scalable residual business model. It just happens to be extremely difficult to make a living with your book. And, and so a lot of us like me, I wrote the book as a, a glorified business card and it works very well for that, but digital. Digital just means don't put products on a shelf. Don't have a business that eats while you sleep. When I hired people, when I was running an agency, I'd hire people. If I failed in my sales efforts, if I didn't meet my number, I would still have mouths to feed. And it's very difficult to get rid of people. So mm -hmm. it's not like I could just reduce. Anyway, so I had mouths to feed. So that was his number one message with the whole digital thing is like, if you're going to sell something that you can walk away from, like you can decide to go to Disney World if you want, sell something that doesn't eat while you sleep. So that's a book for all. Yeah, it's a book. <laughs> You've digitized your knowledge. It, it doesn't need to live on a shelf. It can live on Amazon, whatever. 
scalable just meant that and it really captured everything that happened to me as I grew my agency business in the early days and I was hiring people. Life got harder for me as I scaled because a lot of people in the agency world thought of scale as revenue and headcount. I want to make I want more revenue. I want to bring on more clients. I want to bring on more people. And so people, I think, confuse the word scale with more because I had a lot more problems and more responsibility. And the thing about a traditional time for dollars professional service business is as revenue grows, the administrative burden of managing that revenue and managing those people grows faster mm -hmm. than the revenue does. In other words, your profitability goes down as you get bigger. So he would always stress profitability or scale as you get bigger, make sure it, it becomes uh, more profitable. And then residual, he would always say, find something where you can do it once and get paid forever. And, and that is a book. You wrote it and then you're going to get royalties on that forever. Now, a book is just a microcosm for what I try to get people to do uh, in a professional service business or, or consultants or agencies or whatever. They're selling their time in the form of what do you want me to do? <laughs> and then they take time to do that thing and they have all this expertise. And so a book is you've taken your knowledge and you've written it down and people need to treat their professional service business the same way. They need to realize that what they're really selling is the knowledge in their head and the better that they can package that, make that repeatable, do it once, get paid forever run the same process, license that process to other people, teach the same process in group workshops. There are many formats to deliver it. A book is one of them, but it should be the same intellectual property, the same stuff in your book, in your high ticket professional service, in your group workshops, in your courses, if that's your thing, in your licensed programs. And yeah, it started with him just telling me to do something once and get paid forever. So, and it's, it's brilliant. It works. And, and to mention too, to, to those listening in, you also wrote a book called the agency survival guide. Um, that one is actually in my cart. <laughs> I need to go ahead and just grab yeah, I got the, I got the black book and the, and the yellow, and the book. yellow book. Yeah. I got the yellow book. Yeah. And I'm writing the brown book. Oh, a brown one. Yeah. 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 That's what's it's up. Got a, it's got a poop emoji on the front. I had my illustrator draw me a, an original poop emoji. <laughs> the book is called The World's Worst Book for Consultants. And it will feature very short interviews with, with people about why they think a certain piece of advice happens to be the worst. I've collected a few so far. One is you should definitely give away your value for free before you get paid. That's a great uh, piece of advice. And you should do exactly what your clients ask you to do. Hmm. That's a good piece of advice. <laughs> I think that's all I got so far. So I'm on my hey, way. You, you know, <laughs> I know it's going to be a good one. <laughs> and it's crazy. It's, it's also such a mindset shift that has to happen too. We talked a little bit about that before we started recording, just the mental blocks that come up around this space and especially trying to escape this time for dollars approach as you just mentioned. So what are you finding has to happen in order to really mindset shift, right? To, um, to see what we're doing differently. Yeah. The biggest thing is guilt. Like hopefully you'll be successful. The, the crazy, okay. It's easy to beat yourself up when you're not successful. Get over that. It's hard. 
There's a lot of imposter syndrome, all this stuff. But I was thinking about this lately. When you are successful by many people's definition of it, why do you still beat yourself up? For me, it was guilt hmm. for a long time. Our society tells us that suffering is currency. So suffering is value. If you're not, if you're not working yourself to the bone, like hmm. our parents did and yeah, if you're not suffering, then you're lazy. And so this whole digital scalable, my dad would always say, why suffer so that one day you can retire from suffering? And so building lifestyle into the business and making business decisions, putting yourself first, it's very counterculture and is met with a lot of animosity because most people are in the middle of suffering and they see nobility and, and value in that. And here you are taking a month off to be with your family or, or deciding that you want to play golf for 30 days in a row. Last year, I took every fourth month off as a social experiment. <laughs> How did that go? It, uh, I proved to my clients that I could make the exact same amount of money weeks off in the year. It, it just takes planning. And, and that's the whole, <laughs> I had to prove it to myself again, because it was a while since I've given myself a proper challenge like that. But the truth is, it's going to be difficult no matter what. And you're either cut out to make it work or you're not. And so why not start with putting like a personal life together that's worth it? Like I, I get mm -hmm. to spend a month every fourth month off or, or, or whatever. And so I started with that. So it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a great time no matter what. And it was just as difficult. It created the need for little different expectation setting, little tweaks in the business model, definitely some uncomfortable conversations and, and moments, but it either works or it doesn't. And it feels the same when it works or it doesn't. So you might as well have, you might as well start by having some fun because it might not work. I hear you. And that's just a powerful point. It's going to be hard anyway. It, it, what we're doing is not difficult. Otherwise, everybody would be doing it. So it's just a matter of, like I said, planning. Like if you're cut out for this, then it, it's going to flow. It's going to work. Plus, you have a much better story. Hey, I, I was just as successful as all those other people at the business model that everyone uh, does. Great story, Max. You know, if you take every fourth month off, people are like, that's really, I would like to do that. Yeah. I would. How'd you yeah. do that? Because that's, that's the, it, it also makes you think like the, the point of living, the point of being here is to enjoy it, or at least one of them or a big part of it. So why not? And I, I love this, th these conversations, because to me, it says that you as the person, you as the entrepreneur, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you per se. It's just the other components around you just may not be working or may not be the right fit for the life that you really envision for yourself. Now, I'm, I'm curious to shift gears here to dive a little bit more into like strategy. I would love to Here's some examples of, let's say, simple consulting services or, or offers that, off, that authors can utilize and put out there to leverage their expertise and get a really a bigger return from their books. Because, I, of course, often hear that to have a book is just like this endless pit of investment all the time. It's like always requiring attention and resources to keep it in motion and keep it moving and to keep attention on it. But what are some ways that they can leverage their book? I would love to hear some of your thoughts on that. First of all, consulting, I was really frustrated I couldn't get a job after college. And I was already starting my own business, but I social constructs, I, I thought I needed to get a job to feel cool. 
And I called my dad. He was like, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a consultant. And he said, congratulations, you're a consultant, because all that means is you make up the price. Hmm. So that's the number one rule is that you're just you make up the price as a consultant because there are no rules. And then I learned that really all consulting is helping people make decisions. That's it. So when you write a book, you've got your strong, those are just opinions. Those are your strong opinions that you can use to take a look at somebody's situation and help them make a decision. And here are all these written, you've taken the subjectiveness out of the world and said, I'm going to make some objective opinions mm -hmm. that form a baseline of why I'm recommending that you decide on A or B. But anyway, I digress. The first thing that everybody can sell if they've been selling their own professional services, the, the first thing I would recommend they do is take the proposal and sell that. Because most people give away the important decision of what to do, how much money to spend, and with whom. Those are the most important decisions you can be a part of as a consultant. And they do that for free in the proposal process. Mm. And, and like I said, world's worst advice, give away your knowledge for free. So when somebody comes to you with a challenge and you say, okay, great, let's do a, let's do a short call and let me really understand your situation. And then I'll make some tailored recommendations and then I'll give you a project plan and then I'll give you some budget. And then I'll talk to your finance person about how to budget for the future to solve this problem. Th that's consulting. And it's the most strategic thing that you're going to do for that client, like ever. So now you're now, anyway, the first thing you should do is take a look at, if you have been selling services, take a look at what you've been doing in your proposal process, relabel it strategy, project planning, whatever you got to do, strategy planning, it's all the same and sell it and sell it for $5,000. Why? Because most organizations have a single signature authority. Someone that you're talking to can spend probably a little, a little south of $10,000 before having to talk to a bunch of other people. And so you sell it for $5,000 because they can probably say yes to that. Now, if you get a yes, double the price. Mm. If you get a no, that's the beginning of the sale. No doesn't mean no. No doesn't mean I can't give you $10,000 today. What does it need to look like for you? Likely, you'll figure out a way to give them some payment terms that, that work for them. If you get a no, get four more no's at that price and then split the difference. That's how you find your price plateau in that model of one-to-one. -one, I am going to sell. So I have a long way of answering your question. The, the, the first thing that you ought to do if you have a book is to sell the service of helping your clients make decisions. That's, that's consulting. That's a one-to-one -one service. And the game is to get uh, maximum price for minimum effort. And the better you get, the less effort it will take to give them a lot of value. Hmm. And as long as you continue to challenge yourself on price, because whatever you perceive, it's worth more than that. We're not, it's psychology. We're not set up to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, wow, look at how valuable I am. Most would consider that a narcissist. Yeah. So all of our society beats that out of us. So mm -hmm. 
we have to have these little tricks of doubling the price to accidentally stumble upon what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, like yeah. I said, long, long-winded way of answering the question, but. No, and it's just, it's powerful just to see most of us are already doing this, right? Like we're helping essentially as experts, as consultants, we're helping people make decisions. We're just not setting up the value in a way and, or we're taking the value out of the process because we're just giving it away when it actually is the most important part of the process. Cause they can take what you have now created and go and know what to do, know who to hire for it and how much they should budget without well, involving yeah. you. And, and so that, that is why strategy is, is so valuable because if you get, which is just a plan, by the way, let's, okay, let's not even use strategy, let's, a plan, let's sell a plan. In my book, there's that chapter. It says, the next thing I will do is sell the plan and then smack. Say it again, because that's really it. You sell a plan. And when you sell a plan, how many decisions out into the future does that influence? Mm -hmm. And so if you're back to the do something once, get paid forever, how valuable are your recommendations? How long will they be using that asset that is your actionable recommendations and and so a plan influences all those decisions into the future what many people do will just say oh i'm gonna i'm gonna allow you to pay me monthly as a retainer and i'll be around that value begins and ends on that call what's going on today i'm gonna help you with that that's trading time for dollars yeah you take that same amount of time you help people create a, a plan that will influence or give them a way to make decisions a decision-making process. That's another a nice little golden word for consultants. Who to work with to help them follow through on those decisions. That's vendor evaluation. That's another golden ticket thing mm -hmm. in consulting. And so how do you give them something that is going to be influential out into the future? That's the game. Wow. And it's interesting. A lot of consultants are also jumping into, as you mentioned, along the path of now I'm going to write a book and now leverage that to continue to do what I've been doing. And, and so I'm curious as well for the authors, let's say, who are just starting out, like what other special things can they keep in mind as, as they're approaching that? There's a lot of folks who are listening who are in the process right now of developing this book and having it on the market. So can you talk a little bit more about perhaps from a marketing perspective or things around how this can be leveraged in the meantime might be supportive, maybe even in terms of technology and Leveraging aspects of that today, like what comes to mind? I, I uh, took a permanent diet from technology. I've, I've had it. It's too, I don't, which is why I like books so much because it's like the lost art. I grew up in my agency. Everyone, it was the age of blogging. It's, you mean writing? No, blogging. It's completely new. No one's thought of this. And then everyone started doing video marketing. Oh my God. And then, and, and now it's, and now it's podcasts. It's just media. It's just, it's just us creating content that people find valuable and go, oh, Max is cool. Great. But here's the thing. If you can't hunt and kill for yourself, you're dead. And I think many people believe or have faith that we'll create an incredible piece of content, the greatest book in the world. And our ideal client that is in the perfect situation will show up on our doorstep and it'll happen like once a month. That's, that doesn't happen. Maybe one day it did, but everyone is on a level playing field. It, you no longer need a book deal to write a book. I didn't get a book deal. Nobody right. would take my book. I've got poop emojis on the things. For 
I want to do what I want. Yeah. And so when there's no barrier to entry, you have to, re you know, you really have to take a look in the mirror. So when you're writing a book, you are now in the super cool club at the top. And so you need to use that thing, that awesome thing that you have that you can hold up and wave it around and go, what makes you unique and different? I wrote this book. Does that count? And they're like, yeah, uh, it does. That's awesome. You need to use that as your ticket to consistently talk with your ideal clients. Mm -hmm. You need a way, you need access to your ideal clients. And so you look at everything on your desk and go, what's my ticket? Can I give people golf balls? Can I send them a bottle of tequila? Can I give them this thing as a paperweight? I've got this book. How do I use that? And so right now I'm using my current two books as a way to add credibility to my next book. Who knows when that thing's going to come out? But I have a free ticket to talk to whoever I want because I'm writing a third book and I want to talk to people about the world's worst advice for consultants. So use your book as a ticket to talk to your ideal customers because those are the only people that can write you a check that will make a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as we wrap up the, the conversation here, I know that, of course, with what we do at the Author's Leverage, we are helping to support authors even with coming up with a digital product or something that can be created to go along with it. Do you have any advice when it comes to going that direction as well and how you would help them think differently about that process as well? Yeah, know your audience. Know your audience. I love, it's awesome what digital courses and e-learning has done. I know because I paid for college and so we need to move in that direction because it's broken, right? Like we can't be putting people in a lifetime of debt to be educated, but I, I do think everyone's gone everyone's got the blinders on a bit and they're on Facebook a little too much. They got the blinders on. You have to know your audience and how they are going to pay for help. So there's a certain, there's a certain type of person in their career path. I, I find more so than anything else, more so than learning style, even where they're at in their career path that has the time and has the people to hold them accountable, like their managers and things, to learn through these online courses. And they will do the work themselves and they will implement it and it will be incredibly valuable for them. And the ROI is incredible and they will support each other in these groups. But then you've got like management consultants that are putting together online courses on how to run their business and, and that just ain't gonna work because these people don't watch videos <laughs> they barely do the things that they'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars and you'll give them one thing to do and they'll barely do that. Mm, that's very true. <laughs> so very, very and true. what they really like is the same reason they bought their Mercedes Benz. They like to wear they white they like the white glove treatment. They like to be the people mm -hmm. that spent a hundred it's like a contest like how much money did you spend for advice i just cut a million dollar check for advice look at me so you know you you just have to have and i prefer to have like just decide what you're going to do because that's the only thing that's going to be sustainable is if you're like i this is what i was born to do that trust me you can find somebody to buy it you can sell anything to anyone for any price as long as you're focused so you might as well focus on the thing that you really like and don't lie to yourself. Like I love my work and then I do it for five days and then I drink till I throw up on Monday morning because I hate my job. Don't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. Do the thing that you love 
and then deliver it in all those different formats. But creating a course takes money and time. And you're betting that it's like what it's like a movie, like the flash just came out. It's going to lose $200 million. Mm. That's what you're in when you're creating a course, you're in the movie business. So also sell a service for $50,000 a pop for 90 days worth of work, because that's going to give you the time and that's going to give you the financial freedom to take a risk to, to build something. So have those clients that pay you a lot. Have a, a mastermind group or, or a hybrid model where you can give some people some hands-on help, but also leverage that content and use that as a testing and breeding ground for your hands-off course. But yeah, I try to be opinionated. There's a uh, chapter in my book called Beware the Online Course Model. There's a chapter called Burn Your Implementation Business to the Ground. And there's a chapter called There's No Such Thing as Hands-Off. I think we take Facebook videos for granted. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it, I think the biggest thing that I'm hearing you say is just you have to really be in tune with your audience and know what it is that is going to best support them. An alternate summary would be we don't know it's going to work. Yeah. My, my dad would say, look, the, show me the person that uh, has a good idea. I'll find you a graveyard of their past hundred ideas that didn't work. So. Mm. Uh, we have, if we have a chance at doing something that gets us paid forever, it's going to be one thing. It's going to be a thing that we decide on doing. We build out the system and then we charge people for access to that system for the rest of our life. That's what we are all destined to do, uh, as consultants. And you better package that up in all the formats you can, a book, a study, a service, a workshop, a mastermind, a course. Because you don't know and don't listen to me. Because I sure don't know. <laughs> That's uh, true. You never know. But I think the point is, yeah, you don't really know. But you can know your audience and continue to be in service at the same time. And, and you can get paid to learn. And in yeah. the early days, it's really nice to get a check for 50 grand to yeah. learn. Absolutely. And, and, and the course ain't going to do that right away. True. So true. Yeah. That plan will. Exactly. I'm super thankful for your time. And is it is that Dr. Leo Marvin? I hear you can hear the dog. It's not bad. It just was very faint. And I saw oh, yeah. you saw my re yes, that is Dr. Leo Marvin, clinical psychologist, a.k.a. <laughs> overweight golden retriever that um, <laughs> lives in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Max, thanks again for joining uh, me today on the podcast. I think this is super valuable. I would love for you to share as we wrap up like any other parting words of advice and then where folks can connect with you and would also love for you to drop uh, an invitation to your workshop series that you do every other Friday. I've been to a couple of those and highly recommend those that are tuning in to go and have a seat and join in. Yeah. Yeah. Number one thing, no one's going to give you permission to treat yourself. Monday planning comes along and or whenever you plan, hopefully you're planning. We all say, oh, when this happens, when I achieve this, I will be worthy of a vacation. That, that day's never going to come. No one's going to give you permission. First thing you do Monday morning after you listen to this is you plan that vacation and you will either figure it out or you won't, but at least you'll get a vacation. That's my advice. I do a workshop every two weeks. It's aligned with some of these book topics. Workshops are on Friday at noon. Check out my LinkedIn profile, Max Trailer, T-R-A-Y-L-O-R on LinkedIn. You can't miss me. I look pretty good only because I got a really nice photographer. And yeah, it's right there under my name. There's a link to the next, next free workshop and they're free. They're fun. Come check it out. 
All right, that concludes another episode of The Author's Leverage. And I trust you're leaving today's conversation inspired and equipped to see your book as a source for so many possibilities. Before we part ways, I want to remind you to download your copy of the ebook and its digital companion workbook, Five Ways to Get More Bang for Your Book. Again, it's a roadmap that's going to be useful to help you unlock the full potential of your book. Find it on our website, connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and share it along with a fellow author. Until next time, remember that your words have the power to change lives. So keep innovating, keep leveraging, and keep making an extraordinary impact. We'll see you next time.